Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Howard County Health Department podcast, The Doctor is In. My name is Dr. Maura Rossman, Howard County Health Officer. February is Heart Health Month, so in this episode, we will be discussing heart health and the many ways to keep your heart healthy and functioning well. Heart disease is the number one preventable cause of death in America. According to the CDC, heart disease outbreaks cancer as the leading cause of death in Maryland. The term heart disease refers to several types of heart conditions. The one type in the U.S. is coronary artery disease, which can lead to heart attacks. Howard County residents have seen a rise in heart disease-related deaths due to an increase in risk factors that can be modified by behavior change. It has been proven that you can greatly reduce your risk for heart disease through healthy lifestyle changes. We will be discussing how to make positive changes in your life to improve your heart health. From a public health perspective, it is important for us to discuss the health conditions that are leading to negative health outcomes like hospitalizations, disability, and death in our community, and how we can improve our quality of life and life expectancy. One of the fundamental goals of the Howard County Health Department is to educate our community on important health issues and to promote habits that contribute to good health. We are lucky enough to live in a county with many available resources to help all of us keep our hearts healthy. We have a doctor joining us today who will discuss behaviors that affect our heart health, including smoking, drinking, physical activity, eating, stress, and also providing resources that are available in Howard County to help mitigate harmful behaviors and to establish healthier behaviors. We welcome Dr. Harry Oaken. Dr. Oaken, is the medical director for the Columbia Association and an active attending physician at Howard County General Hospital. He is Baltimore Magazine's Top Doctor Award winner of 2017. He is a fellow of the American College of Physicians with over 39 years of medical experience and specializes in internal medicine with an emphasis on difficult diagnoses and nutrition. Welcome Dr. Oaken and thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Congratulations to your department for doing such a great job during the pandemic. Well, thank you. We work hard and it's always good to have a great team behind you. So let's get started and talk about heart health. Let's get a little technical, Dr. Oaken. According to our community health educator report card, the top two causes of death in our county are cancer and heart disease. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in Maryland. What's going on? Well, Maura, it really has to do with how we live our lives. And most of us actually in Howard County live a very nice life. and We have access to many, many terrific things, but most of us can do a better job in the four core items that really affect our immune system. And those four core items are good nutrition, restorative sleep, regular exercise, the amount of exercise that's necessary for you, and controlling stress, anxiety. So those four things impact the immune system that we all have and we want to make as strong as possible. And when any of those four things is off, then we're more vulnerable. So I always tell people to think of our immune system as a platform and it's held up by these four things, nutrition, the right amount of exercise, restorative sleep and controlling stress. And when any one of those pillars is off, we're more vulnerable. 
Now that doesn't take in consideration a couple other things. There are genetic factors, familial factors that promote heart disease. There are lifestyle factors that I didn't mention, particularly smoking, that impact on our risk. But as you said, heart disease is the number one killer in this country, and there's lots that we can do to prevent it and mitigate it and make it better. And even if you have existing heart disease, we can actually make some impact to actually regress it. So you mentioned risk factors. My dad had heart disease. And so uh, when I go to my internist, we talk about the risk factors that I have based just on genetically, which I can't change that. I love my parents and where I came from, but there are some other things that I can do better to you use the term mitigate, right? To perhaps change those risk factors or make them not so strong. What are some of the things that we can all do other than genetics, which we can't change, to help right. us have healthier hearts? Well, let me circle back to your family history. And in the generation of your parents, perhaps the way they lived their lives promoted heart disease more than we promote it now. For instance, it's not unusual to find out when thinking back about your parents, did they exercise? Did they smoke? What kind of diet they had? And so in people in our generation and younger, I think there's a more of awareness of smoking, nutrition, et cetera, and lifestyle. So if you think about the average person in Howard County, okay, they probably don't smoke. They probably do understand exercise and they might have a better diet. So when I talk about familial risks, a lot of it had to do with the context of the time because think of your genes as little factories. And those little factories, the product that that factory puts out is dependent on what you put in. Do you put the right material in? That would be nutrition. Do you do the right maintenance for the genes? That would be exercise. And so whatever you put into the gene determines whether the gene is going to be stimulated or inhibited. So I think generationally looking back, when you look at heart disease, a lot of things that our parents did promoted heart disease. Now, that's not to say that we still don't have a problem because we do, but I think you can promote genes and you can inhibit genes and it comes back to how you're living your life. All good points. My dad was a butcher, so we ate beef every single day because that's what he would bring home. Um, he, He did smoke. He was active on his feet because he was a butcher and did a lot of walking. So you're absolutely... It's important to note there are things right in our my parents' generation that affected their health that I now have perhaps a different eating habits than when I grew up. But then there's other factors in our lives that sort of, I'm going to say from a behavior perspective nowadays, that actually can contribute. I drive a lot more than I grew up in, in Brooklyn, New York, where we walked. There were, you know, there was one car, which my dad took to work. So we all walked and took the subway and and the buses. We didn't have access to, I'm going to say, some of the food items that aren't so healthy now, the convenience foods. And we didn't have the electronics, right? There was no remote control. When we had a TV, you had to get up and turn it on and off. So you're absolutely right that the perhaps the genetics that we talk about isn't a gloom and doom, right? That there are things that we can do to change that. But we also have to be figuring out, in my opinion, behaviors now that may be contributing to the increase in heart disease, particularly that we're seeing in Howard County. To your point, you know, it's said now that sitting is the new smoking. 
right? And I think that's absolutely true. And one of the things that I promote in my practice with patients, in people who are still working at a desk and sitting all day, is to set a timer and get up every hour. And I actually have them do chair squats because that up and down movement can affect a certain enzyme system that promotes the breakdown of fat. So you're 100% right. When we think about low back pain in this country, most of it is due to either obesity and sitting or the combination because we're putting so much vertical load on our lower back. So totally agree with you. Yeah, and I have an Apple Watch, which reminds me to stand up and breathe deeply. And I also have a stand-up desk and do try to stand up more because, yep, I'm mostly in the office and during pandemic, one Zoom call after the other. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to work on that. You're an internist. I'm a pediatrician. Heart disease is really a, a lifespan disease that really starts at birth or even preconception. Can you talk about some of the things that, that we all can do to invest in our children, allowing them to live healthier lives in 40, 60, 80 years? Sure. You know, speaking of 40, 60, 80 years, the way we're going with the medical technology that we have is that some people believe that 60, 90 will be the new 60 in terms of in the next 10, 15 years, how we're understanding aging. And you yourself know that your parents in their 60s are a lot different than perhaps you in their 50s and 60s than perhaps you are, okay, the way we've aged and what we've been exposed to. Talking about children, we know this is a big blood vessel. And you see this plaque sitting at this intersection here, this Y. And what we know in kids is that the pre-lesion to the plaque is what's known as a fatty streak. And those fatty streaks actually have been found in children in their, from 10 years of age to 15 now. So we're promoting the process, which is at the core of heart disease at a early age, starting with a fatty streak. And that fatty streak then matures, it gets invaded by inflammatory cells and creates plaque. And we're now seeing plaque in people in their 20s and 30s. And when this plaque gets irritated, right now it's, you know, it's well demarcated, but when it gets irritated, it can break and rupture and cause an occlusion, which attract platelets and then attracts clogging. And then we can have an event such as a heart event or a stroke event. But that process starts really early in children. Now we do know that it's very much related to diet and exercise. And our kids today, unfortunately, are not often getting the exercise that we may have gotten when we were kids. And their diet is high in carbohydrates and high in fat. And these are the big promoters for the early development of the fatty streak, which then transitions as we age into plaque and uh, calcific plaque, et cetera. Yeah, the importance of making sure that our kids are eating well and healthy foods and being active is really important to allow them to have the quality of life and life expectancy that we all want them to have, right? And one of the things that we've seen over the past few years is that children born today have actually a lower life expectancy than some of us born decades ago. And I believe that really has to do with the lifestyle changes that we can change so that our children, again, live long and healthy quality of life years. And one of the things that I promote with my patients is to really work on getting five to seven servings of fresh fruits and vegetables a day. Now, not many people do that when you think about it. 
it's kind of a challenge actually in today's world, getting five servings or seven servings of fresh fruits and vegetables, which is one of the reasons why I tell people who are not getting that is to nutritionally look at what's happening and make some changes. And if you really can't, then I'm, I'm a big promoter of multivitamins. And the reason is because the long-term 20-year data for a multivitamin once a day, now I'm not looking at five-year data or 10-year or data, but the long-term 20-year data shows that if you can get the nutrients that you need for a prolonged period of time, you have less heart disease, less dementia, and less cancer. So I'm a big promoter for people who are not necessarily getting those five to seven servings of fresh fruits and vegetables every day for taking a multivitamin. Well, I'm guilty as charged with not getting my total fruits and vegetables every day. I do take a vitamin every day. And every day I wake up and say, I'm gonna, going to eat more fruits and vegetables. So when we come back, let's talk about some of the strategies to help us build better habits and to mitigate our risk and improve our heart health. We'll return in a minute and also discuss symptoms to look for to prevent heart disease. We'll be right back. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome back. In the last segment, we talked about the risk factors for heart disease. Factors that include our genes, our parents, and other factors, behavior factors that contribute to heart disease. But now let's discuss how to identify heart disease and more importantly, how to prevent it. So Dr. Oaken, what are the symptoms of heart disease? So everybody's aware of the person who has chest pain and says, maybe I've exercised or I pushed myself or walked up a hill and I'm aware of chest discomfort, but it's not always that specific complaint that is the signal. Sometimes it can be a sense of shortness of breath or just fatigue. And when people have heart disease, keep in mind, we're talking about the heart, the arteries around the heart that may be starting to block and not sufficiently delivering blood flow to the right place. But remember that if you have atherosclerosis, those vessels all over, the, all over the body may be affected, not just the heart, but sometimes the vessels to the abdomen and sometimes the vessels to the legs. So it's not uncommon for some people to actually complain that their legs get tired when they walk up a hill and they're thinking, well, why, do, why am I having pain in the back of my calf? Now, it's typically that person who has clogs in their lower extremity arteries, but high likelihood they may have clogs around their heart as well. So the typical complaint is chest pain or shortness of breath. Some people will complain of fatigue. Sometimes you'll hear from somebody who is an avid exerciser and they go out to exercise and they've never had a problem, but they start to see that when they get to that first or second mile, they're out for a jog, that they're fatigued. They're not having pain. They just don't have the endurance that they did. So all of these are subtle signs. Now, in women, women can actually present a little bit more atypically than men. Men typically will complain of exertional chest pain or sometimes chest pain at rest or shortness of breath. But women can have, rather than chest pain, they may just complain of fatigue or some atypical pain, or as I said before, feeling like they can't get their breath. Sometimes the pain will radiate to one side or the other. Sometimes it'll be mistaken for breast pain. Sometimes people will even have 
funny post-digestive pain because when you digest, your blood vessel flow goes mainly to your lower abdomen, which can divert blood to the lungs and the heart. So we can see a lot of atypical discomfort in particularly women versus men. So the workup for the doctor and the challenge for the doctor is to decide, well, how to pursue this. And we have lots of different ways to get to the bottom line and what the diagnosis is. Yeah, thank you for mentioning the difference in men and women and sometimes how they present with advanced heart disease. But we've also heard that heart disease is a silent killer where people have no symptoms at all. In fact, I have an older brother, healthy, exercises. I'm sure he has stress in his life, but he tries to live a good life. And he was on vacation and experienced jaw pain and then gradual chest pain, had an aha moment that something was going on. He was actually helicoptered to a hospital and was diagnosed with almost complete occlusion of two coronary arteries. I'll let you know he did well. He's great. And he's continuing to exercise and go to the doctor. But it was an utter shock to himself yes. and to all of us. So what are some of the things that we should be doing, especially as we get older, to be able to identify heart disease earlier before we get to those symptoms and more advanced disease? Well, some of the screening things that are very helpful to decide how to proceed are making sure that on an annual basis, you screen your cholesterol panel. We call that the lipid panel. You have your blood pressure checked. You make sure your fasting blood sugar is okay. These three big things are really important in actually being the first tier for increasing the likelihood of looking for something more. So many people will have an annual evaluation with their physician where they basically do a health assessment. So blood pressure control, lipids, fasting blood sugar are very, very important. Now, if somebody has high blood pressure, we need to control that. Now, high blood pressure is very, very common. About 50% of people over 50 will have high blood pressure. And of those 50%, only about 50% of those people know they have high blood pressure. So it's a very undiagnosed phenomenon. And of the people that have it, that we know about it, another 25% of them are not adequately controlled. So what should your blood pressure be to decrease your heart risk? Well, optimally, the top number should be less than 120 and the bottom number should be less than 80, but those are hard numbers to hit. So what we really are looking for, and when we start to treat people for high blood pressure, if your top number is persistently above 140 and your bottom number is persistently above 90, those are folks that usually get treated in addition to the core therapy of, of hypertension. The core therapy is get to the right weight have regular exercise, eat well, be careful with salt. But if those core measures don't bring you where you need to be, then oftentimes we'll put people on an antihypertensive to control their blood pressure. If we can control their blood pressure, they'll do much better. How about blood sugar? Well, by and large, we want your blood sugar fasting to be less than 100. And if it is, then we can basically feel comfortable that you're probably not a diabetic. But even if you're a pre-diabetic, where your blood pressure may be a little bit higher, or this other lab test that we use, which tells us our average blood sugar, which is called a hemoglobin A1C, if we see you're in the pre-diabetic range, your risk for heart disease is significantly elevated. And so we want to make sure that we take care of that. And the way that we usually do that before medicine is diet and exercise. Now, one thing that gets asked to me all the time that I, I, I really promote in my practice is, well, I don't really think that I'm overweight. What should my weight be? And I'm a big promoter of 
what we call the waist to height ratio. I like everybody's waist to height ratio to be less than 0.5. And the way we figure that out is we take a simple tape measure, and I do this every year for my patients. I take a simple tape measure at their navel and find out what their girth is. So if they're 72 inches tall, okay, I want their abdominal girth as a male to be less than 36. If they hit that metric, more than likely, their blood pressure will be okay, their fasting blood sugar will be okay, and they'll probably have a pretty good lipid level too. And we're looking for that lipid level, the bad cholesterol called the LDL or low-density lipoprotein, we're looking for that level to be persistently less than 100. If you hit those numbers, you're probably going to do everything you can, you're doing everything you can to avoid heart disease. Now, you had mentioned about your, your brother having acute coronary syndrome. That's what we would call it. If he didn't do anything, he might have been a victim of sudden death. Mm -hmm. And sudden death happens in this country significantly. About 350 people per 100,000 people die every year of sudden death. They didn't know they had a problem, and they drop. And we know those vulnerable people generally have abnormalities of their blood sugar and their lipid panel. Maybe they have a family history. So all of these things we look at annually to make sure we're optimizing them. For sure. We're really thankful. I think if he had not identified his symptoms and been able to be helicoptered to a tertiary care, he probably wouldn't have survived. And yeah, I go to the doctor annually. And in being a woman of a certain age, my cholesterol is high. I do try to control it with diet, but I now do take cholesterol medicine to make sure that my lipid panel is where I want it to be or to try to maximize it to improve my heart health, put it that way. And you mentioned the importance of blood pressure, right? High blood pressure causes your heart to work harder. More weight you are, your heart has to work harder. So anything you can do to sort of um, give your heart a break, not a heartbreak, is helpful. And I didn't know, I did know about abdominal girth. I'm going to go home and take a look at that privately to see what else I need to do. I did mention to someone earlier today that one of the negative impacts for me from the pandemic was I used to go to the gym really regularly pre-pandemic. And then once we all stayed home, I stopped going to the gym and I've been trying to get myself back. I call it on the exercise wagon to improve not only my heart health, but also my mental health. You mentioned, well, stress, right? And how stress also can affect our heart. So in the last five minutes, let's Talk about some of the positive things that we can do and how we can use the assets we have in Howard County to improve our heart health. Sure. So first, let's go back to good nutrition. So what we know from evidence-based medicine is probably the best diet for most of us is a diet that's full of fresh fruits, vegetables, and is mainly plant-based. And that diet that many people are aware of is called the Mediterranean diet. And the Mediterranean diet typically has a little bit of extra virgin olive oil, which we know just a small amount every day decreases our risk for dementia. It usually has nuts in there. And nuts are actually a great source of lots of nutrients, including important fatty acids. And we know that just having six walnuts a day decreases our risk for heart disease and stroke. So the Mediterranean diet is a sort of a nice diet to sort of reference back to and say, hey, what can I do to have the elements of the Mediterranean diet. Now, I'm a big pusher mainly of plant-based diet. I do eat some animal products myself, but I have limited dairy. I have mainly seafood. I stay away from red meat. 
That's my personal decision, but it works for me. Vegans, by and large, pure vegans, which means they're not having any dairy, any meat, nothing with a face as a pure vegan, that they, they eat nothing with a face. So no eggs, no dairy, no meat. When we look at the vegan information, and there are certain areas in the country that actually that have shown this very well, vegans actually have less heart disease, they have less dementia, and they have less cancer. And so we are what we eat in many ways. There's a book that talked about the blue zones. One blue zone in America is Loma Linda, California. In Loma Linda, people are generally the right weight for their height, and they have less heart disease, they live longer, they have less cancer, and it all relates to their lifestyle, principally their diet. So I'm a big believer in the Mediterranean diet, as close to it as you can get, and being, you know, being smart, you know, about what you do. Don't have anything in excess. So that's the nutrition piece. Also, based on that nutrition, as I said earlier, a multivitamin every day, if you're not getting five to seven uh, servings of fresh fruits and vegetables, which most people rarely do, unless they're vegan. So let's talk a little bit about exercise. So the exercise story is pretty interesting. It's sort of like the Goldilocks thing, you know, not too much not too little, just the right amount for you wherever you are in your life, okay? So I'm a promoter of trying to have a versatile exercise pattern. And that means doing a little bit of aerobic exercise every week. That means doing some resistance exercise, which is really important as we age. Muscle is gold as we age because we tend to lose three to 5% per decade of our muscle units after 30. So by the time you get to 60 or 70, you've lost a lot of muscle. And you've also lost some bone too, particularly for women. So resistance exercise is very, very important. And two times a week, 30 minutes, great. Keep your muscles toned. That means the muscles which are around your joints, your joints get stronger and less vulnerable to problems. So exercise resistance two times a week, if you can, getting aerobic exercise two to three times per week, and for most people having a rest day. But on rest days, I still promote walking. I'm a big walker. I love to walk. I love everybody to try and get seven to 10,000 steps per day, regardless of their exercise. Keep moving. Moving is terrific for us. So on your rest day, maybe you're just walking, okay? So nutrition, exercise, and what about sleep? Americans don't get enough sleep, and the quality of sleep that they have is usually poor. For many people, if you're overweight or obese, you may have sleep apnea that's undiagnosed. You should talk to your doctor about the, the nature of your sleep, and is it restorative or not? And there's lots of things we can do to make sleep better. And then finally, stress. We all have it. The pandemic's made it worse. Stress actually affects our immune system significantly. If we don't get enough sleep, we're stressed, and our T cells and B cells don't work right. If we're working all day, having worries and anxieties about financial issues, adjustment issues, relationship issues, that impacts us as well and affects our immune system. So looking for ways to actually promote a stress-free environment is always important. And one of the biggest aspects for actually promoting stress-free is exercise. When you exercise, you feel better. You feel better during the exercise and you feel better after the exercise. And virtually everybody that I know that gets some exercise never regrets it afterwards, okay? Afterwards, it was a good thing to do. Getting started can be hard. So the four pillars, exercise, good nutrition, controlling stress, and getting good sleep. These are the four things that we want to promote. Now, there are programs 
the health department has, the Columbia Association has, there are local gyms, the Roger Carter Center is a great deal for people to get to. And that's where you can actually create your plan. And everybody should have a plan. You know, I have a plan myself, what I do every week, and I stick to the plan and it helps me and I feel better for it. Now, for some people will tell me, you know what, as much as I try, I can't exercise. I can't find the time. So I have a little plan worked out for them just that they can do. It takes 10 minutes a day and it's about standing up, doing 10, 20 cath raises, doing some wall push-ups, doing some chair squats, doing what's called the devil's chair, which is putting your back against the wall for 20 seconds and doing a plank. If you could just do that, you're getting some exercise. We have so many different things at the Columbia Association that can help people. We have programs that you can sign up for, for functional exercise, where we teach people how to move in the right way so they don't hurt themselves, at least in gro lifting groceries. And you can find all about that at columbiaassociation.org. It's a great interactive website that we have all of our programs there. And I encourage everybody to look at that and just get moving and active and pay attention to your diet. Well, thank you, Dr. Oaken. Our, our time is up, and I know we could continue talking for another 30 minutes. And yeah, there are definitely easy things that we can all do to improve our heart health and incorporate them into our day. Doesn't actually require a subscription or a membership to anything, but it's just actually doing it, which is the hardest part, starting it. So everyone, that's it for today's podcast. The doctor is in. For information on Howard County Health Department's efforts to reduce health risk factors and improve wellness and safety, check out our population health tab on our website at www.hchealth.org. We look forward to having you listen to our next podcast. And in the meantime, stay healthy. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.